how far do you make it? And we'll call it the John Wick journey. The amount of carnage and violence he causes in this film, how far into that do you make it, would you say? I don't think I make it off the living room floor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fighter. I don't have any self-defense skills. The way he the way he got his nose kicked and broken in one fell swoop, that would do it for me. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not getting up. That's fair. And I can't I can't blame you. It was pretty brutal. But Keith, you, I would say, have a very strong nose. So I feel like that wouldn't necessarily stop you. I think you could make it a little bit further. How far do you think you could make it? I don't know. Maybe maybe like one guy I'd like maybe hit and then I'd, mm-hmm. I would immediately get shot in the head by the other guy. Yeah. I would not <laughs> definitely not, not make it through two guys or let alone 10 guys like he does. Okay, well, that's, that's good to know, because I honestly thought I was going to be the one not making it very far, but it turns out I think I technically make it the furthest, because I'll take the beating, I'll bury the dog, it's going to be terrible, it's going to be super sad, and then it's like, I got to get my car, I'm going to go see John Leguizamo, and then when he offers me that drink, I'm just still a bit woozy from the beating, I think I'm going to accidentally drop the drink, stand up to pick it up, and maybe slip on the ice and the glass, and then fall over and hit my head on that Mustang, and I'm done for. I am done for. And John Leguizamo has to bury me next to the dog. In in your mind of, of how far you made it, you're you're just happy you made it out of the house. I'm just happy I made it out of there. Keith actually got a hit in, but you tripped on some ice, and you thought you made it further. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I did point. technically. I did technically. You're still on the floor. I made it. I made it to the next day. <laughs> what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys you send to kill the boogeyman with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I converted all my cash to solid gold coins. I'm Keith Baker, and I have a dinner reservation for three. And I'm Matt Johnson, and yeah, I'm thinking I'm back! On today's show, we'll be returning to our bi-weekly retrospective and review series. This is where we tackle entire cinematic franchises, return to each film, see if they hold up, and rank each entry. So far, we've done Zack Snyder's DCEU, Star Wars' Daniel Craig's James Bond, and the MCU Phase 1. We have plans for the MCU Phase 2 and some other franchises in the future, but today we are starting with a new franchise, and this one is just a quick, fun, and violent entry, the John Wick Trilogy. But first, Matt, we just finished our newest bonus series covering Season 1 of Loki on Disney+. Plus. We all had varying thoughts on the finale, but why should people check that out? Yeah, I think largely people might get something out of our episode because... From what I could find, it seemed people, for the most part out there, were pretty happy with the finale. I would say certainly more so than the WandaVision finale, maybe more so than the Falcon and Winter Soldier finale. But while I really liked it, I think Austin and Keith were a little bit less hot on it. So if you're looking out there for some just new thoughts on the finale and then Loki season one in general, I think you're going to get something fun out of it. So check it out. Yeah, I was pretty surprised because I tried not to look at anything before we record. And after we got done with that recording, I was like, oh, wow, me and Keith are definitely in the minority <laughs> in terms of how happy we were with the finale. I, You know, I think for that last episode, it's going to take maybe another, maybe at least one or two rewatches for me. Maybe I'll warm up to it a bit. I got to say, my wife was watching it the other day for the first time, and I was kind of checking in on it in the background, and I was pretty engrossed. I was liking it a bit more than my first time around. There you go. Maybe. I like it. All right, and with that, let's get into our main topic for today. John Wick came out at a time when it seemed like Keanu Reeves' star power was fading, and this would be just another run-of-the-mill action film. Yet, 
After a career that includes great comedies, romance films, award-winning dramas, and seminal action films like The Matrix, it was indeed John Wick that broke the mold and put him back into the A-list star category. Why is that? What is it about this action revenge story that feels so new and fresh? What makes it stand out against a tired and sometimes samey genre? And finally, what makes it so badass? Let's break it down. Matthew and Keith, give me your history with this film and your initial thoughts on the first John Wick. Yeah, uh, I think I told you guys this before. I'd only seen this series maybe once before, I think. I think I binged it over the course of two days. So to me, it just felt like one six, six and a half hour movie. So I couldn't really remember where the first one cut off at. So it was cool to go back and rewatch it. And man, there was a lot I did not pick up on the first on the first viewing for sure. So it was really cool to kind of see this whole underground world that he lives in. And, and the action is just unreal. I don't know if we're going to get into it later, but it's probably some of like the most precise shooting I've ever seen in a movie. Like, and when I say shooting, not not shooting the movie itself, like actual like gun shooting. Like, it's it's pretty crazy uh, how real they make it look. But as far as the story goes, and uh, Keanu Reeves coming back, he's badass. He just he plays that part really well. It's perfect for him. And the story's really original and intriguing. And yeah, I enjoyed it much more on the second viewing than I did the first time. So. Yeah, so I remember when this one came out, I certainly wasn't jazzed about seeing it really at all, but I guess maybe I saw some newer trailers, and I think it was more so the word of mouth started coming out, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is a good one to go see. So my roommate at the time, we drove over to the theater while we were in college, and we saw it. It was a pretty empty theater from what I remember, but we had a blast. We loved it. It was so much fun, and they balanced like really kind of violent, precise, and sometimes gruesome action like Keith was talking about with a pretty engrossing and simple story and really good performances and a great ensemble cast. So I was just super impressed. It shot so well. It looks great. And I remember walking out of it, I was like, damn, I really hope this one, the word of mouth that I heard really gets out to more people because I want this to make a lot of money so we get more of these movies and luckily that worked out hence why we're talking about this franchise on this show but yeah i loved it when i first saw it i've probably seen it now three other times and i still love it i think it's amazing yeah for me i have seen every single one of the john wick films exactly once um this one specifically i saw right before chapter two released in the theaters because i had obviously heard the word of mouth and the buzz about the first one but i missed it on its theatrical release so I was really excited to check out the first one and, and then go see the second one in theaters. Um, and, and like you guys have said, I loved it. It blew me away. The action is is fantastic. And, and it's something we're going to talk about more as we get into the episode. But I think the cast and crew behind this movie was just perfectly suited to take on this project and kind of break the mold and break away from other typical tropes that these action type movies um, kind of follow. And then the standout, of course, I think for me is Keanu Reeves. I just I'm really happy that this movie kind of put him back into the mold and he's now back in the A-list category. I love it every time he pops up in any project and I'm, I'm really happy that this franchise is kind of able to revitalize his career. 100%. Okay, well with that, we're going to roll some music and we come on back. It'll be time to get into the movie facts of John Wick and I guess now it's John Wick Chapter 1. All right, let's get into it. Keith, why don't you run down our cast and crew for John Wick? This one is directed by Chad Stahelski. He's also Keanu Reeves' stunt double that went on to direct all the John Wick films, including the upcoming 
fourth movie and Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, it's produced by David Leitch, who is also Brad Pitt's stunt double that went on to direct Deadpool 2, Hobbs and Shaw, Atomic Blonde, and Nobody. And yeah, something else I was reading, because David Leitch is credited as, as a producer in this film, but he did actually co-direct it with Chad Stahelski, but the Screen Actors Guild decided that Stahelski should get the sole director's credit for the movie. Written by Derek Kolstad. So he wrote the John Wick films, obviously. He also wrote Nobody, and he wrote The Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, movie score composed by Tyler Bates and Joel J. Richard. Going into our cast, we got Mr. Keanu Reeves as John Wick. Uh, as my dad would say, it's Keanu Reeves. He doesn't know how to say <laughs> Keanu. <laughs> we have Michael Nickfist as Vigo Tarasov. Alfie Allen as Yosef Tarasov. Adrian Palicki as Perkins. Lance Reddick as Charon. Dean Winters, you may know him from the Allstate commercials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dean Winters as Avi. With John Leguizamo as Aurelio, he's returned. We had him at Chef, oh, what was wow. it, like six months ago? He's back. No, over that a year, over ago, a year Keith. ago, Holy shit. <laughs> You're losing concept of time, Keith. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we have Ian McShane as Winston, and we have Mr. Willem Dafoe as Marcus. All right, guys, that's the cast and crew. Some tough names to pronounce there for me. What's your highlights or negatives? Okay, I mentioned at the top, the standout, of course, is Keanu Reeves. He makes these movies and carries the entire franchise. Um, beyond him, I really enjoy Lance Reddick as Sharon. I like how he's just kind of this calm, stoic presence like in the middle of all this chaotic action. And then Willem Dafoe, I would say a bit underused for an actor of his caliber, but every time he's on screen, I had a lot of fun. So those are kind of my three shout-outs. Did you like that part whenever he went... I'm going to kill you, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, of course, is obligatory that he says that line anytime Willem Dafoe gets He says it in every show. film, every film that he's in. <laughs> I agree with you. I think there's pretty much can't really go wrong here with anybody on this list. I really like Michael Nickfist as our kind of head honcho, Vigo Tarasov. I think he just brought a lot of gravitas. I just really like that character. I think that character is super cool. I like that he and John Wick aren't normal enemies you would see in a revenge story. So I thought he did a great job bringing that to life. I really love just the quick appearances we get from people like John Leguizamo and Ian McShane. Obviously, we see more of them in the future, but they're great actors. They're super well known. And just seeing them in little capacities, I think, really helps bring this great world to life. And speaking of the world, I think you got to shout out Derek Kolstad and Chad Stahelski for their work behind the scenes, you know, writing and directing and all that good stuff because they just really nailed it. So, yeah. What about you, Keith? Yeah. I mean, not too much to add there. I'm definitely with you on Michael Nickfist. He he really stood out to me on the second viewing as uh, Vigo. He was a pretty badass, believable Russian mobster. And like you said, with uh, John Leguizamo and Ian McShane, I thought they were so cool. We'll get into it later, but I love that scene whenever uh, John Leguizamo as Aurelio stands up to Yosef. Uh, oh, that might be my favorite scene. Punches him so in the good. face. Yeah, it's so cool. And then the follow-up whenever he and uh, Vigo talk. Actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's my favorite that's scene. Whenever one. he yeah. says why he struck his son and then Vigo's... He's like, well, sir, he uh, killed John Wick's dog and stole his car. And then it just cuts back. Oh. <laughs> hangs up just hangs up doesn't even <laughs> say anything not even mad at him anymore he's just like shit yeah i think i think matt had a good call there calling out Derek colstead because that's one of the best things about this movie is that it is an established world and and the way these characters have those lines and those scenes it really adds to that feeling while you're watching the movie yeah for sure and i'll just shout out 
Kinu, Kinu Reeves. Kinu. As John Wick. Uh, but yeah, I think he plays this quiet, reserved assassin dude pretty well for the most part. So I'll shout him out as well. We have to call this podcast for the next uh, few weeks here, the Keanu cast. Ooh, Keanu cast. I like it. I guess that's it for cast and crew. Austin, do you want to bring us in for any fun facts or possible production nightmares? Yeah, so I actually don't have a whole lot of trivia this week. Um, the only thing I could find that was like fun about this movie was just like, we're debating the body count. And it's like, well, that's not interesting. But I did find a really cool breakdown from Vulture. They did kind of a long form uh, deep dive into how this movie actually got made. So I'm just going to run through some highlights from that article and then you guys feel free to stop me when you want to talk about something. Okay, so we kind of mentioned it loosely, but this movie is an original work and not based on any source materials. Writer Derek Kolstad had the idea after seeing a few revenge films that he found boring. So one day he just kind of decided, I'm going to write my own revenge movie and this is how I would do it. In his original draft, the main character was actually in his 70s and the mobsters killed an older dog who had been his main companion for like the past 14 years. Hmm. wonder who they would have cast in something like that. According to Colstead, he writes his movies with actors who are like already dead in mind, so that way he can't have any like biases when they're casting when they're casting actual actors today. Who do you guys think would be a good one though? Uh, I don't want to go with the obvious ones. I don't want to go with something like, you know, Robert De Niro or Al Pacino. I want to try and think of somebody a bit more What about like ooh, what about like Robert Redford? <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird with his little red his little red hair it's still like gray yeah. <laughs> that would be funny can you imagine him jumping up on somebody and doing a Black Widow slash John Wick takedown <laughs> and shooting them in the head Harrison Ford oh yeah I didn't even think of that we could get Mark Hamill and then behind the scenes he's just complaining the whole time like he always does <laughs> what about um, F. Murray Abraham <laughs> Sure, that would be fun. <laughs> uh, that was, I didn't even think about that. So Kolstad sold the script to Thunder Road Productions, um, who actually went on to finance this film. They were actually the lowest bidder, but they were going to make the film immediately, which is why he opted to go that route. Okay. So after Thunder Road bought the rights, the first person to sign on was actually Keanu Reeves. Um, Reeves is looking for a new role, of course, after several box office bombs and still trying to break away from the Matrix role, even though that was like 10 years prior. Reeves and Kolstad um, began working together to tweak the script to fit Reeves' acting style. They cut pages and pages of dialogue, for example, in the scene um, at the church with the Irish priest. John Wick and the priest originally got into a moral debate, and when Kolstad and Reeves kind of reworked the script, all that dialogue was changed to simply, uh-huh. Yeah. I don't think this is that kind of movie where it's like you need to have like a weird religious or moral debate or something. I don't know. I think they nailed it with Keanu Reeves. It it just works as is, I think. So Thunder Road would go on to audition several directors, but all of them kind of seemed to miss the point of the script. Um, the whole reason Thunder Road bought the script was because they felt that the death of the dog gave the audience something to relate to, whereas the directors that they were auditioning all felt the bad guys needed to like kill John Wick's entire family or needed to do something drastically evil to raise the stakes. But Thunder Road liked the fact that killing a dog kind of gave everybody in the audience something to latch on to and something they could relate to. And it makes for some good lines too. Like later on, it's like, it's just a fucking dog. It's not like we killed your wife or anything like that. Right. Not that a dog isn't, you know, like lovable. Like we love the dog, but it, yeah, it's just made for some like good lines from the Russians who don't probably wouldn't give a shit about a dog. 
So while they were still deciding on directors, um, Reeves knew he wanted Chad Stahelski and David Leach to sign on for second unit direction and action design. Reeves loved working with a duel um, on the Matrix franchise and knew they were perfect for this movie. Stahelski and Leach were interested, but they said they would only come on if they could direct the film. Um, so they met with Thunder Road, and their pitch was actually making the dog a puppy and kind of filling out the lore and myth that was going to be added into the movie. And both Keanu and Thunder Road loved their pitch, and so they were signed on to direct this film. And you wouldn't expect it from kind of new directors at the time, only kind of doing like choreography and stunt work and action design. But then, of course, when you think about it more, it's like, actually, yeah, those are the perfect people to direct action movies like this because they typically probably have kind of like a cool take on things and they know how to make it practical. So it turns out that you should get more kind of stunt coordinators and people like this to maybe do more directing or just more responsibilities behind the scenes. So during their pitch, they actually sold um, Thunder Road on the idea of using the kind of single long takes for the action as opposed to the shaky cam and like lots of cutting style that was popular at the time. So this meant that Keanu Reeves did roughly 90% of his own stunts in the film because there was no way to work in a double with that type of filming. Yeah, you had to see his face. Exactly, Keith. And additionally, in order to film this way, that meant um, the cameramen also had to be choreographed and kind of go to rehearsal for each scene. In modern action, cameramen spend most of their time trying to hide the fact that the lead is not in the action. They also shoot with multiple cameras so they can edit it all together and hide like the wires, mistakes, etc. with various cuts. So by having Keanu do all the stunts and the cameramen rehearse and learn their movements, they were able to film the action in the long take style that the John Wick franchise has become known for today. So despite getting the movie off the ground and committing to the action, Stahelski and Leach um, almost flinched on the puppy's death when they were editing the movie. They were worried they had made too dark of a film and it was going to get laughed out of theaters. Um, they experimented cutting the puppy out of the film entirely, but then you just kind of have a guy who kills 80 people over a car. No, yeah. definitely yeah. necessary to have a puppy. Yeah, mm -hmm. we love the dog. <laughs> so that's kind of what I got. Um, that's how John Wick kind of came to be. A lot of people writing feature films for the first time or directing the first time that all came together to make this franchise that is now coming up on both its fourth and fifth movies today. Matt, do you want to talk about the critical reception for John Wick? Yeah. So John Wick earned $88.8 .8 million at the box office, and that was against a production budget of around 20 to $30 million, which made it extremely profitable, which was a surprise to many people, including the studio, thus warranting all the sequels we got. As for the critical reception, John Wick earned strong reviews upon release, attaining praise for the action sequences, direction, visual style, pacing, and the performances of the cast, especially Keanu Reeves as John Wick. On Rotten Tomatoes, the movie has an 87% rating. Its critical consensus reads, Stylish, thrilling, and giddily kinetic, John Wick serves as a satisfying return to action for Keanu Reeves and what looks like it could be the first of a franchise. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone stated, John Wick is the kind of fired-up, ferocious B-movie fun some of us can't get enough of, and noted the side characters and their respective performances from legends like Defoe, Leguizamo, and McShane. The AV Club stated, an underworld fantasy that grafts crisp action onto Ryan Johnson-esque worldbuilding, producing one of the most fully realized shoot-em-up flicks in recent memory. Universal praise in general was aimed at Keanu Reeves and his performance, Kolstad's script, the world building, the levity, all the performances, the pace of the film, the choreography, the visual style, and much, much more. The only negatives I could find seemed to be from those that felt once John returned to work, if you want to put it that way, some of the action over time started to feel a bit samey, which led to some people feeling the film was maybe perhaps a bit too long. And then I also saw that some felt that as far as revenge stories goes, this one was pretty standard. So the only real negatives I could find was just it seemed like a few kind of personal opinions of how the action 
once the action started, maybe there was too much of it. And then once it all blends together, it makes the movie feel too long. And then just kind of standard. That's all I could really find, though. So I do kind of loosely agree with the critique about the action being um, a bit samey by the time the movie ends. Um, I think the action gets a lot more creative in chapter two. As for the runtime critique, though, this movie is only like what, like an hour and a half, maybe? Like, it's super short. I don't know how yeah. it could get much much shorter than that. There's some scenes where it's like, okay, he's just going to shoot that guy in the same way he shot the past three guys. Cool. But that's who he is. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense to his character. Yeah, and as for the critique about it being standard, I, I definitely disagree with that one, especially with, like all the praise has said, all the world building, all the lore and, and mythology behind each character. I think this is anything but a standard action movie. I agree. Yeah, I mostly agree with the praise on this one. As for the critiques, yeah, sure. I guess I can also agree that at times it's like a little bit egregious with some of the action and the specific choreography beats they put in, but that's me reaching, kind of just nitpicking. I really enjoy the movie, so that's all I can really say. All right. Well, before we get into the roundtable, we of course got to play Can We Break It Down? Matt, take it away. All right. So I want to start with the backstory to this movie. Austin, from this movie in particular, not the sequels, what did you gather from John Wick's backstory? Yeah. So we learned kind of in the opening that John Wick was in love with his wife who was taken away from him by some sort of illness. Um, He is seemingly a man who kind of lives alone and, and is grieving in his own way. He does receive a puppy from his deceased wife. And the note says, you still need some way to love. So you can kind of gather that this is a man who has a pretty dark past. That's right. So yeah, kind of going with that puppy right there. Keith, how about you talk to me about the whole inciting incident? John is living the quiet life, so to speak, after his wife dies. So what exactly happened that caused him to go back to his old ways? Yeah, it's pretty sad. So he gets that puppy. He runs into a couple of Russian dudes at a gas station and... They seem to like his car, and they're they want they're wanting to buy it from him, and he refuses, and they end up following him back to his house and beating him up pretty badly, killing his dog and stealing his car, and then from there he's he's pretty pissed off, and he's going back to what we would call his old ways, meaning where he's just gonna kill a shit ton of people <laughs> and get revenge, and he does, he does, he kills every single person that walks on screen, so. No need for more details. Let's just get to that roundtable discussion. All right, so I wanted to start us off today by just talking about a few of the things that I think make this film and franchise great. Uh, One, as we discussed, it's an original idea created by screenwriter Derek Kolstad. It's not based on anything, and it's not remaking other works. It's certainly inspired by other media, but there's no source material to run to and compare it to. And two, even though it's an original idea, it takes place in an already established world with its own lore built into the story. It was refreshing in 2014, and it's still refreshing on a rewatch in 2021. How did you guys feel about the decision to just tell a straightforward revenge story set within this larger, intriguing world, as opposed to spending our first movie world-building and setting up future stories? I really like it because I feel like, and I don't want to give away too much because we're going to go into the the next two movies after, but they do kind of explain a little bit of the lore as they go on, but they don't, like I said, Austin, they don't really don't need flashbacks or anything like that. I like how they just jump right into it. That works for me, at least in this action, in this action sequence. Maybe if it wasn't so much of an action film, but still had this weird organization he was a part of, I, may, I might be down for more of a backstory, but since we're just getting this guy on the rampage... I'm cool with them not explaining all of it right off the get-go. Yeah, 
100% me too. I think that's the best thing about the movie in general is it is just such a simple story, a simple revenge story that takes place in, like you said, this just huge, elaborate, um, already established world with characters that already have relationships with each other that you can kind of glean from when they have conversations in the movie. And then sometimes they just talk about other characters so you can go, oh, OK, I guess this is what their relationship is. So it's super cool. I mean, the writing's really great and they took a lot of time to figure out how to do it and it definitely paid off. And like you said, I think it would have been kind of a lame movie if they had to do the revenge story and then also like kind of very specifically point out how the Continental works, how all the, all this other crazy stuff works. And if like that was all being set up in this movie, too, it would have been way too much. And I think it would have just kind of gotten a little bit blah. You would have just been like the action was cool, but everything else was boring. Um, so I love that about the movie. And just real quick, again, like he said, we're not going to talk about two and three specifically until we get to him. But. I think the reason John Wick, I need to rewatch both of them, but I think the first one might be the best movie, probably my favorite too, because I think two and three take the whole world maybe a bit too far. The action's still amazing, but I think it gets a little bit convoluted the more and more they reveal about this world. I like how in this one it is a little bit vague and you can kind of, it's pretty easy to latch on to at the hotel and kind of the the mob and that kind of thing. I think it gets a little bit lost in the sequel. So another thing I appreciate about this is while it is an established world, it is kind of simple in the grand scheme of things. You know, it's really just mostly the continental for the most part. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of my favorite things about this movie is that they don't explain anything to you. Like it does make it intriguing and make you want to learn more and come back for the following films. But I kind of like that too. You're kind of left to your own imagination to piece together what this all means, how the rules work. I also like that there's a really like, courtesy and an etiquette to the assassins in this movie like they're polite yeah. to each other they use their manners like just small things like that i just i think it makes this movie like weirdly charming too 100 percent, i like that i just love that you can't do anything while you're at the hotel it makes it fun and once he gets back to work it's kind of good pacing as well with the movie because it kind of he goes to the continental pretty much right away and you see all these characters interact with him that he clearly knows from the past so it also helps you inform his character and kind of the way he acted before and it's just really well done with the timing of all these individual scenes and yeah like what like you just said i loved how they have all these different side characters that are meeting john wick for the first time and some obviously have a long history it's super great yeah i love it yeah the writing's pretty brilliant because yeah you just accept all of it like, there's nothing where i'm like oh, i'm pissed off they didn't show any of this or explain any of that i'm cool with it all just being between the lines kind of figuring it out I just also thought it was kind of a cool, different choice to have the main villain be this kind of dumb, arrogant son of the head of the mafia. And uh, the the head guy doesn't really have anything against John Wick. In fact, he's trying to stay away from John Wick. They have that kind of this mutual agreement that they don't bother each other. So I just love the initial setup, too, is like this dumb kid does it. And that is kind of what unleashes John Wick. I thought that was kind of different from most stories like this. That choice was really cool to me. And Tying back into what we were just talking about, it also does add to the world building. The fact that Vigo is this huge Russian boss and is terrified when he learns who his son pissed off, it makes it makes everything feel more involved and experienced in this movie. And I do love that first um, scene with his son when he's like, it's not what you did. I don't care about that. It's who you stole it from. His son is like, I'll make it right. Let me let me go finish what I started. And it's I love how I love how Vigo just laughs. The scenes with Vigo, I think, are some of the best in the movie. That scene's so good. Yeah, because I mean that scene is really him in kind of this dark way. It's him saying goodbye to his son because he knows 
after what his son did, John Wick, and he tells him straight up, he's like, John Wick is coming for you. He will kill you. And he's like, what can I do? And it's like, you can't do anything. And that scene, whenever after he's done, of course, hitting him, whenever he hugs him, I think he is like genuinely basically saying goodbye to him because he knows he's going to die. And obviously it gets a bit more interesting later when he gives him up to John Wick to save his own ass. But yeah, that that's definitely a highlight scene for sure. And it's also cool because when for, I, I know I've seen this movie a lot and I guess maybe I had to be reminded on this viewing because whenever as I was watching, I was trying to remember why is it that um, John kills Vigo at the end? I know they're not friends, but. Why did he do that? Is it just because after he killed Yusuf, he just figured he would kill him? And then I was reminded, oh, because Willem Dafoe's character Marcus betrays Vigo, then Vigo kills Marcus, and then that's kind of John's final thing. I'm going to go kill Vigo. But it's also cool that he had no interest in killing Vigo, even after he killed his son. Like, he's yeah, he just went like, home. He's going to go home. I'm done. Yeah. Um, but then he got pulled back in again, and then he finishes the job, which like you already, I think you already said it, Keith, but one of my favorite just kind of in revenge stories, I feel like you have to have an amazing moment wherever the hero like resolves what the villain did to them. And this one, I think, just has one of the best. Whenever he kills everybody in that warehouse and then like he finally catches up to Yusuf and shoots him in the stomach. And then as he falls down, he just walks up slowly and casually in that badass outfit. And then uh, Yusuf says again, it was just a fucking before he can say dog, just shoots him in the head and walks away. <laughs> they don't give you that bullshit you get in other movies where it's like, they're begging oh, for their life. And all that. Exactly. Yeah. I've killed a hundred people. Now I'm going to listen as the person, the main person begs for their life. And maybe I'm going to have a change of heart and let them live. It's like, no, he just shoots him in the head immediately and leaves. <laughs> uh, while we're here, let's talk about Miss Perkins. Uh, to me, uh? she's the only thing that seems a bit generic in this movie. It's a pretty straightforward, just I'm going to try and kill John Wick. I think he's an ass type of type of villain. But I do still like all the, I do still like their fight scene that they have. And I like how she kind of does play a larger role in the events of Marcus's death as well. From what I get from Perkins, she's more like the amateur, younger assassin out of everybody. And then she kind of gets a little gets a little cocky once John gets a price on his head. Okay. I've never thought of her that way. But yeah, that, that does kind of make sense because she is the only one that breaks the rules of the Continental, too. Yep. Yeah, that's how I read it. I will say, well, I, I agree with you. The character is, you know, kind of generic, but I, I still enjoy the performance and it's good enough. It does kind of when you watch two and three again, I'm not trying to spoil anything for people watching along, but when you watch those movies and understand how seriously like the Continental takes the rules and the lengths that they will go to be able to break it, it's like, why would like she wouldn't do this? <laughs> like she wouldn't basically kill somebody in the Continental just so she could potentially get double on one bounty. So it is one of those things that I think works in the context of this movie. But whenever you watch the other ones and look back, it's like that character kind of doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But we'll get to it when we get to it, I guess. So, of course, the movie definitely has iconic action sequences and great choreography. So let's kind of break down the nature of it. Once John embraces his old life and once he's committed to taking down the Tarasovs, it is just all out action for basically the rest of the movie. So I wanted to know, what were your favorite scenes? My standout sequence of events for sure is the red circle. Just that whole sequence of events of him running through the club, mm -hmm. the way the beats of the score pair with his gunshots is so cool. Um, and he has some just sick moments in there with the way he uses his gun, like as a sword too. I was reading it. They called it like the three gun technique or something like that, where the gun is not only something to shoot people with, but it's something that you use as a handheld thing to get in close and then finish your enemies off. So all of that stuff you really see kind of play out on full display in the red circle sequence. Yeah. You kind of stole mine, Austin. Yeah. I'm with you there. Especially the beginning of the bathhouse when he first comes in. 
and yeah. and Yosef is just like, oh shit, <laughs> and starts running. <laughs> he looks so scared. <laughs> and then uh, there's just like that, there's that big like I, I forgot about it until I watched it last night. There's that big like meathead looking dude mm-hmm. that comes out of the hot tub, and you're like, oh shit, this is gonna be a big fight. And then John just kills him like so easily, like shoots him three times in yeah. his six pack, and then shoots him once in the face, and the guy falls into the hot tub. <laughs> yeah. God damn. That might be my favorite kill in the movie is that one. I do also love the one where he, uh, when they're fighting in his house and he snaps the guy's neck over his countertop. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The red circle sequence is amazing. I think the movie also just edits its action very well. There's one scene that always sticks out to me. It's whenever, like, one of the bodyguards is like, like, whatever he says. He's just like, calling in, channel three, you good? And it's like, yeah. It's like, calling in, channel two, you good? This immediately cuts to... John Wick slicing somebody's neck and the blood goes all over like a window or something. It's like, no, they're not. They're not answering. <laughs> yeah. uh, so good. That's probably my favorite sequence, too. I'm trying to think, what are the other standouts? I do like the uh, the car sequence at the end when he they're in, they're in the rain there, like at the docks area, about to get on the helicopter. And he's mm-hmm. driving the car and like all these crazy maneuvers, like in reversing and doing it in ways where he can get these perfect shots in these guys. And he's just like kind of twirling around him in, the, in that I guess it was like a Dodge Charger or whatever he was driving I thought that was kind of cool too yeah I want to talk about that sequence um, towards the end of the episode when we get into the end of the movie but I'll give it a little tease now um, on this viewing that sequence actually felt pretty goofy to me this time around mm, interesting okay yeah we'll definitely have to talk about that a little bit later then I also of course really enjoy the house sequence just because it's kind of our introduction to how the action's going to work in this movie and like you said there's some great moments there um, but I also, in particular, love how they put in a lot of moments where John is kind of vulnerable, where he doesn't feel like a superhero, because there's so many moments where he does feel kind of, for the most part, invulnerable. But I really love that we have, I think it's two sequences, we have the fight with Perkins in the Continental, where he's clearly caught off guard, and it's like, oh shit, this is actually kind of like not going well for him. And then you also have the I'm back. Where? What does he say, dude? I gotta look at the line. Whenever uh, Vigo's walking out, that might this might be Keanu Reeves' best acting, and he—it's the only time in the movie where he's screaming, and he's screaming yeah. that like, if you don't give me your son, then I'm gonna make sure I bury you alongside him. And then they put the bag over his head, and oh, watching him take out those guys after Willem Dafoe helps him out, I was like, this movie rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the the opening of that line where he's like, people keep asking me if I'm back. I haven't had a really good answer for him. But yeah, I'm kind of thinking I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Another uh, good action scene, it's a quick one that I thought was really cool, is whenever he's walking through the subway and he does like these quiet kills. You all remember those? That's not in this movie. Am I thinking of another movie? You are, but that's in that's in uh, two, I think. Oh, see, that's this, not is, this one. This, see, yeah. this is what happens when you watch all three in a row. You get them all. <laughs> you get them all mixed up in your head. You can't remember. Which. I, my, I like the part where Halle Berry comes out with the dog. Did you guys like that? <laughs> uh, before we move on, I did also want to introduce. I do have a new metric. We're gonna have to track for this whole uh, retrospective series, and I'm calling it TTDD. TTDD. Hmm. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. TTDD is our new metric for the John Wick franchise, and it is time to dead dog. So in this movie, Mm. the time to a dead dog is 15 minutes. There's a lot of dogs in all three of them. We got to track in part two what the time to dead dog is, and if if each movie gets to their dead dog quicker than the prior ones. Okay, that's a good one to keep an eye out for, I think. Yeah, another thing, it's just the overall setting. I mean, it mostly takes place in 
I think it is NYC, but it doesn't really feel like New York City because John is mostly in contact with people that are, for the most part, either affiliated with the organization or with the Continental or at least somewhat close to it. So yeah, with that, you're yeah you're entrenched in this underground, darkish, kind of sci-fi, mysterious world. I think I already know the answer to this question, but did that flow well for you guys or would it or would you have liked a little bit more interaction with like a real world, like meeting just like a regular friend for like a, a lunch or something like that? Hey, Willem, good to see you again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then he goes, hey, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question, Keith. I, um, I don't even really think about it like that way. But yeah, so many movies and TV shows and just other media are obviously in New York. But you're right. This one doesn't really feel like that. Whenever they get to New York, it's like, oh, I'm, I can kind of guess what to expect here in terms of where they're going to be going. But everywhere, every like location they use feels different from the last. It doesn't feel like typical New York locations that you would see. And everything's just visually stunning. So that's a great point. And I think it definitely adds to that kind of weird nature of kind of this underground organization. As for kind of like, is it too much? And should there be more realism and all that? I think it works for this one. Again, I think when we get to two and three, I, I really do like those movies, but that's where they lose me is it's like, oh, everything is this organization, like everything. And it's like, ugh, I don't really like that that much. I like how here it feels a little bit more underground and that there could be people outside of it. So I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually reading that one of the reasons they chose to film in New York City was because um, they took inspiration from Men in Black where it was believable that in New York you could hide all these aliens. Kind of the same thing here. It's really believable that you can hide all these assassins within New York City because it's such a large, massive city that's moving so quickly. And then additionally, that also did add some stakes too because when they were actually filming in the city, they kind of had to do everything perfectly on the first take because they couldn't come back and redo things because it's like impossible to get New York closed down to shoot a movie. And they didn't have a huge budget either while they were filming. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, as to the second part of your question, Keith, I really love the fact that he kind of only interacts with people who are critical to his mission and, and what he's trying to do in the movie. Like, I think every single move that John Wick makes in this movie makes sense to achieve his goal. Yeah, for sure. It definitely plays into his assassin persona that he, that he doesn't really have any outside affiliations, like a sister in like Philadelphia or something like that, where like somebody, you know, outside of this this whole thing he's involved in. I think it's cool and it works for me. What are y'all's like favorite bits of the lore that they kind of tease out to you in this one? I just like the whole Continental Hotel thing. I always thought that was really cool. Even when he walks in when he's like all bloodied up and they just, there's no questions about it. Like it's just like, oh, that's normal. People walk in here with gunshot wounds all the time. Yeah, I think most of the lore, a lot of the lore I think that's contained in this movie, I mean, I think my favorite would probably be the whole relationship with Vigo, but we've talked about that a lot. So um, the other ones I would say are mostly kind of character, even just like super quick interactions. Like I love seeing him walk into the bar, like the secret bar, I guess, underneath the Continental. And he clearly has like a rapport with a lot of these people, including the bartender. And whenever he first talks to Winston, played by Ian McShane, who kind of runs the Continental, it's like, oh, they clearly have an interesting relationship. They've done work together in the past. They're very familiar with each other. But because of the whole rules, you know, Winston can't help him, but then he goes to get a drink and it's it tells him where to go on the napkin. Then he looks over to Winston and basically gives him a nod, which happens later in the movie, too, whenever Winston uh, tells him where Vigo's going. So I like how they kind of 
through like lore kind of in a weird way based conversations they reveal these characters pasts and their relationships even just the fact that he had a genuine friend amongst all this craziness in Willem Dafoe's character Marcus like yes they were both in this crazy world but it seemed like they were actually friends too so it's like oh that's good to have and then whenever that character dies it's just another thing that's going to propel him to more revenge so they did a great job with that I really want to know more about the extent of John Wick and Marcus's relationship because at the beginning of the movie at the funeral John Wick seems surprised that he's there and it doesn't seem like they're friends in that scene so the first time I watched it, I was I was a little bit surprised that Marcus was protecting him throughout the movie because they didn't seem like friends when they actually interacted at the start of the film. That's true. That's true. Do you think that Marcus was like always in on protecting him, or do you think he was going to question? Do you think he was originally going to take the contract, but then decided later not to kill him? I do not know the answer to that. I think he was always going to protect him because he clarifies with Vigo. He says, "Is it open or is it exclusive?" And I think the fact that it's an open contract makes him decide uh. to protect John Wick because he knows everyone's going to be coming after this bounty. That makes sense. Mm. That's a good point. And it, he might have, I can't remember, he might have been privy to the conversation that Vigo has a contact in the Continental that's willing to break the rules. So that would explain why Marcus would be perched with a sniper facing into John's room in case somebody comes in like Perkins. So that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way because I was going to say to your question, Keith, that I kind of always leaned more towards, I thought originally he was going to take the kill until Perkins, he saw the extent of the lengths people were going to, and then he had to change a heart and protected him in the church. So yeah, that's a really good point. So now I'm kind of more on your side of it. Yeah. When he, when he made, when I first watched it, when he made that first sniper shot into the bedroom and it missed his head by like a few inches, I was like, oh, he just missed. That's what I thought the first time. But I think the second time watching, I was like, oh, he did that on purpose just so he would get his attention and wake him up. Yeah. Yeah. And see Perkins. The other character I'm always really intrigued about is Jimmy at the beginning, the cop that comes to his apartment. Yep, yep. another good one. Because he's like, evening, Jimmy. He's like, you working again? He's like, I'm just going to leave. Like, I, I kind of want to know more about their relationship, too. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what I like in this movie as opposed to the others. And the others, it feels like all of the side characters, they're just an assassin. Whereas I like someone like Jimmy, who's clearly an actual cop, but he has a little bit of knowledge of John's past. So there is kind of like still toes dipped into the real world. And I love, yeah, he's just like, I'll leave you to it then. And then John calls in the cleaners. <laughs> like, yeah. They have the Continental has people that can clean up all your messes, which was okay. That's cool. Yeah. So we talked about it a little bit with the action, but just your quick thoughts. How do you guys think this movie compares to other uh, action movies like assassination, killing spree, things of that nature, like Transporters, The Borns, Mad Max, Die Hards, Rambos. Like, how does it compare to those, and what makes it stand apart to you guys, action-wise, story or characters? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with all of them, um, with the exception of Mad Max Fury Road, I think all of them kind of wore out their welcome and did the same thing over and over for their continuation of their franchises. Um, Fury Road, I think, reinvents itself a bit, but it is also a remake. And the thing with John Wick, at least the first one, is it's a completely original idea, not based on anything. So that's the main thing that kind of sets it apart for me from the rest of those films. I agree. I think with these, I'd have to think more about other ones. But with this specific example, like the Transporters, you have cool action. The Borns, you have cool action and like a real grounded espionage plot. Mad Max, Fury Road is just this crazy balls to the wall action movie. Some of the best. It's practical. It's dope. 
Die Hard is more of, I feel like, good action paired with a really badass character. Same with Terminator. Um, maybe Terminator focuses more on the story. The thing I like about John Wick is that maybe it's not the best at, like, the individual elements of those other movies are, but it's at least really good at all of them in the sense that I think it has a great, simple story. It has amazing lore and an amazing world. Definitely, I would say the world in John Wick is better than any of those because it's not realistic. It's like this crazy, weird thing. Um the character of John Wick's great as the lead and the side characters are great. And then the action's top tier. So it's like, I think all those other ones are probably like maybe a bit of a higher ranking in one of those categories, but John Wick outdoes them all and at least a baseline of all of the categories. So it gives you everything. Yeah, I'd be interested to see a bracket of like the best action movies. Maybe we have to do that one day and see what really comes out on top when we're, because I think in that bracket, we would be solely basing things on the action and then giving points to things that do things a bit differently. But mm-hmm. I would be interested to pair John Wick against other like kind of standout action movies. For sure. That'd yeah. be tough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you kind of mentioned it. I, I think John Wick's more, I guess you could say it's more of a continuous story through the three movies. And then yeah. if you go to like something like Die Hard, where we, we we love Bruce Willis as John McClane, but it's at the end of the first one, he kills Hans, it's over. And then the second one is a completely different villain yeah, they take they take another group hostage. He has to save them. It's like a, it's just like a repeat with a different group. It's not so much of a continuous linear story. Yeah, that's true, and I do like that about John Wick because it's different. It definitely, as a, especially when you get to three, it definitely doesn't work like all of the time with the choices they make because it is continuous. But the fact that it is this persistent world in a way is super cool and different. And for the most part, it definitely works. And based on the end of three, when we get to that, I mean, four is going to be no different. That's definitely going to be continuing the story, too. Uh, so before we close out today, I did kind of want to talk about the ending. Um, so while I did really enjoy this viewing, I did notice that it closes out in a pretty clunky way after Yusuf dies. Um, it feels pretty rushed to me, especially on this viewing. The editing, I thought, is really choppy, cutting back between Vigo and Marcus and, and then their conversation with John Wick. And the final action scene with the car and Vigo laughing felt really goofy to me and almost like diehard-esque in a weird way. So I just kind of wanted to get your guys' take. How did you guys feel about the way the movie wraps up from Yusuf's death and onward? Yeah, I I like it. I don't know if I love it. I might have to think about it some more. But like I said, it feels like the movie should end after, like, Yusuf dies. But then it doesn't because then they have to deal with the Marcus betrayal. They kill him and that drags John back into one last ride where he's going to basically just finish all of them off and go kill Vigo. And then once you get to the scene, it's like definitely not as cool as anything in the Red Circle or even like whenever he finishes off Yosef. So it's kind of just like that epilogue scene that you would expect. But for the most part, I do like because they did set up at the beginning that they that John is amazing in a car (laughs) just as he's deadly on foot. He's deadly in a car. So it was cool to see that come back in an action sequence. So I appreciated that. And then the final confrontation between he and Vigo, well, it's not like the coolest thing choreography-wise. I think they did enough build-up between those two characters that it is at least exciting and you're curious what's going to happen. And before you guys go, just the last thing, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, I love that the movie opens um, kind of in medias res with that final scene of him like almost dying outside of the car. And it's like, it does a good job of setting up throughout the movie that he's he is vulnerable, like he can be hurt because they show you in the opening scene that he can. And I really like that too whenever we get back around to it because it's like, God, okay, he killed Vigo, but is he going to die? Does he die right after this? Like, I don't know. So for the most part, I like it. It's it's definitely not the highlight of the movie, though. So I guess if that's a complaint, I would have that one, too. It's definitely maybe the weakest of all the action sequences. But yeah, what do you guys think? 
yeah, this is just me being kind of nitpicky, um, just to have like something negative to say because we have been super positive. But I guess like the action stuff in the final closing scenes is, is exciting enough. For me, the thing that really got me on this feeling is just like I thought the editing was super top top notch up until Yusuf's death. And then when they're when Vigo and John Wick are having their conversation and we're we're cutting to like before the conversation and during the conversation, just those cuts felt really jarring to me this time around. It does take a different turn after Yusuf dies, that's for sure. Yeah. It's kinda like mm-hmm. you're you are thinking that's gonna be it's gonna end in like five minutes and we still have like another what, like fifteen, twenty minutes left in the movie, maybe? Maybe another fifteen minutes left. So I was kinda like, Okay, hopefully they end this thing soon now. Um, yeah, but no, I did like the last action part though. Like I already mentioned with the driving, uh, that was really cool. And I do like the, even though it was kind of an underwhelming fight, cause I was thinking that Vigo was going to be a lot tougher than he actually was in the fight, but it was cool whenever Vigo goes to try to stab him and John pretty much lets him stab him just so he can break his arm and yeah. get the knife yeah. from him. So that was another cool John Wick, like crazy action moment. Do you guys think it would have been an interesting twist on the genre if, uh, John Wick and Vigo hadn't have fought after Yusuf's death. Like they'd honored their agreement and kind of just gone their separate ways. That would have been kind of cool too. Yeah, I think that could have been cool as well. I think the movie, maybe it was just a way to make the movie not feel super short. So maybe they're like, we should have like maybe a 15, 20 minute kind of epilogue, if you want to call it that. That's kind of what it feels like. Is it's just kind of to make the movie beef it out a bit with what it's doing. But that would have been cool. I think I would have liked that if he had kind of gotten away because maybe you still have him kill Marcus and then maybe that's a bit more of a natural place to go in the sequel than what we ended up getting. Uh, so yeah, that could have been an option, but I still like what we get and I like that they left it on the table. Like they weren't setting it up for a sequel um, because they didn't know if they would get one. So I think that could have worked though. Um, I do think, um, cause we're kind of just talking about the post Yusuf death just in general. There are two other scenes I want to talk about. Um, first of all, I like that Willem Dafoe kind of gets a badass way to go out. I love the line whenever um, Vigo's basically like, you're going out on my terms. And he's just like, no, sir, I am not. And then he takes out a couple of the guys with him before he dies. I was like, that was badass. That was cool. And then, oh, actually, I thought of another one. I did not remember because the whole, be seeing you soon, John. That's like something that's in all of these movies. I didn't remember Vigo saying it. I thought that was like a cool death line. And then, of course, like we got to talk about the actual final scene of him waking up after he almost dies on the ground, stitching himself up. And then, of course, it's like, where does John Wick end up? Not just in a doctor's office, but he ends up being in a vet. So he's able to save a dog with him and uh, walk away back home. So I was like, that was awesome. I love that he gets a dog at the end. That's just such a good way to close it out. Yes, this was fun. I feel like with all the retrospectives and reviews we've done in the past, whether it be definitely Star Wars, that one stands out. Star Wars, the DCEU, um, the Bond movies we did, any of the superhero movies we did. It Now that I'm thinking about it, even though I've really liked for the most part the stuff we've chosen to go back to, I do think on rewatches, which is the whole point of doing this series, that while we still, I think, mostly liked the movies, there was definitely tons of things to nitpick, uh, definitely in Star Wars, <laughs> even in some a couple of the Bond movies, like we said, definitely the DCEU. I mean, of course, that has what? some things no, to call DCEU out. is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. How dare well, yeah, you? But, but speaking of that, even the MCU, even like the early phase one movies, I mean, I thought I was going to love all of them, but there was definitely like, ooh, actually, I didn't really love most of these. I, I liked them, but there was definitely some negatives to call out. I think this might be the first one we've done so far where... We had a couple nitpicks here and there, but I mean, it sounds like for the most part, we all three like loved the movie. So very positive conversation here. Yeah, I think 
I don't know about you guys, but I think I'm going to be just as positive on the following two as well. I, I really love this trilogy. I'm excited to rewatch them. Me too. Yeah, I've only seen them once, so I'm excited, especially excited to watch my, my subway scene <laughs> that I thought was in this movie. <laughs> Your precious subway scene. <laughs> yeah. I um, Yeah, I've seen this one like four or five times, and then John Wick 2 I saw years ago only once, and then 3 I actually saw last year for the first time. So I definitely need to watch 2 again. I haven't seen that one in a long time, so I hope it holds up. Okay, well, we're going to start closing things out. But before we do, we do, of course, need to do the Arnie's Podcast Awards. Uh, if you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith always starts us off. Keith, what is your award today? The Worst Gaming Room Award goes to <laughs> the warehouse. <laughs> that is, uh, Yosef's friend's just playing this random, it's like a TV and like a couch in the, in the middle of this huge-ass warehouse. And he's playing some sort of like Call of Duty game. And he's yelling at him, quit playing the fucking video games. <laughs> Who do the goons hire to like decorate their safe houses like because clearly somebody made the decision they got to get a couch in here and a console that was mayhem that was mayhem for the all-state commercials oh is it insured too that's good that's good yeah, that they got yeah, he's him. good at, he's yeah. good at it. also johnny from rescue me one of the arnie's i was gonna say old yeah shows we know him from that yeah. yeah he's the brother of dennis leary yeah he had a, he had a funny death scene <laughs> he just gets hit by a car and then not shot and it looks like oh maybe this is the one person that John Wick spares but then Vigo <laughs> hits his car which in the process runs over his friend <laughs> that was a weird character cuz he did look like he did not want to be in the fight scene like he had no interest no. in going out there and then at, when he climbs out of the car he's like you Russian motherfucker so did they like each other like I don't, <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know it's funny because he's like does anybody have a gun I need a gun does anybody have a gun and no one would give him one and then Vigo just slowly just goes like uh, just slowly hands his, his gun out he to goes him. high whenever yeah. he was like smoking after his son died he's just high yeah. he's like pulling the gun back from him <laughs> uh, okay my award is the most fatal somersault award and it's to the faceless goon who John Wick hits with his car he somersaults over the car and John Wick shoots him through the roof of the car Ooh, like six times that's a good one. that might that's a good kill that yeah. was a good kill um but I don't like killing I like positivity and I like world peace which is why I'm giving my award to the most unexpectedly polite and it's to Mr. Kevin Nash, who played Francis, the bouncer at the Red Circle, that even when he had a gun to the back Great of his head, yeah. he kept Great saying, scene. sir, he kept saying, please, he kept saying, thank you. And John was like, he respects that because he likes respectful people. And because Francis was like that, he got to live and he got to go home that night. So I wanted to call that out. It was a beautiful moment. Wasn't Francis like, I'm like, I lost some weight or something like that, too? He lost 60 pounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and John Wick's like, Nice. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and this series, please make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. Please leave us reviews as well. Uh, even if you don't want to write anything, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next week on Tuesday for kind of a pulse check on the movies of 2021 we're going to be checking in on some movies that we may have missed that released earlier this year including many that we think you all need to see and we'll be back in two weeks to continue our retrospective and review series covering john wick chapter two that's right so tons of exciting stuff coming up i'm definitely looking forward to rewatching john wick 2 like i said and just kind of I had to go back this week and rewatch some movies I missed earlier this year. So it kind of gave us a free excuse to do that because we have a fun episode coming up next week. 
Besides that, uh, we have some good new HBO Max releases coming soon, like the Suicide Squad and stuff beyond that. And then also be sure to let us know what you want our next bonus series to be. We've covered WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, and Loki. Should we do What If? We're not sure, so let us know. Yeah, and lastly, we want to hear from you, so feel free to give us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us, thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Send us your favorite John Wick film. Let us know your thoughts on Black Widow. And send us some movies you loved in 2021. Anything you say, we'll read on the show, and we will react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. See you. See you.